What's up, boxing fans? Welcome to TNC episode 163. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Sorry that we had some video and audio issues last week. Uh, hopefully all that stuff is good to go. Tiffany's checking our cords and our plugs right now. Let me know, guys, here on the chat if you have uh, any audio issues or video issues, and uh, we'll work on that as we go. You like that jingle? <laughs> Played the jingle right off my phone, baby. All right, hopefully that came through loud and clear. All right, guys, like I said, this is episode 163 of The Neutral Corner, and I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Uh, big, big weekend. So uh, those of you who you know follow me, you guys know that Tiffany and I went to Texas this weekend had a great time, worked our asses off. This was our first time covering an event for, for myself, it was Ring Magazine. For Tiffany, it was Ring TV, their site. I wrote for the site too, but she did video for the site and for their YouTube page. So uh, working nonstop. And in fact, the fights Saturday, you know, the post-fight press conference went to like two o'clock Sunday morning. That was local Texas time. Uh, unfortunately, all the bars there closed down at like, I think 1.30, 2 o'clock, and they stopped even selling alcohol at like gas stations or anything. So we were dead tired, but we had more videos to chop up, more work to do. I had stuff to write. We had a lot of organizing to do. We really needed a drink. We couldn't get one. We worked at the hotel till about 5 a.m. And then we drove straight to the airport, caught a 7 a.m. flight here to Atlanta, crashed yesterday all day, uh, slept 12 hours basically. So I spent my entire St. Patty's day sleeping and catching up and doing laundry and all that good stuff. So, uh, and well, Tiffany did laundry. Uh, so look, St. Patrick's Day, yeah, everyone's a little bit Irish, except for us, we're still Italian. But I have some, uh, some whiskey here that I'm going to drink throughout the show. I'm gonna enjoy myself. This is an honor number one of the drink that I could not have technically early Sunday morning after working all during the fights this weekend. I really, really could have used one, but Texas is dry really, really early. Plus it was already St. Patrick's Day. So this is an honor of the drink that I never had on St. Patrick's Day. Yes, I am appropriating Irish culture. Take that social justice warriors. Salute guys. Ah, that's pretty good. Uh, Johnny Walker, black label. That's what I'm drinking here, guys. Okay. So some quick news and notes, and then um, I want to address something related to Mikey Garcia. I sent out a tweet during the fight, or after the fight, Saturday night, hell, it might have been Sunday morning already, saying something to the effect that uh, Errol Spence really, really proved his greatness Saturday night against Garcia, and Garcia got exposed a tad. Now, that word triggers a lot of people. I understand, because it's overused, it's abused, just like a million other words in boxing. But... It's all relative to how you're using it. And I want to explain what I meant by the word exposed. I don't, I think some of you are taking what I said the wrong way. And I'm going to talk about Mikey Garcia, obviously, later on in the episode as I, as I review it took place last week. But um, some quick news and notes, and I'm going to jump to some of you guys' questions real quick. I know you guys have a ton, ton of questions about the fights. We will get to that, okay? But uh, just some quick news and notes. So, Sergey Kovalev and Anthony Yard. That has officially been ordered by the WBO. They have 30 days to reach an agreement. I think they will. If they don't get to an agreement, it'll go to purse bid. But uh, 
Kovalev has fought on ESPN. And of course, Top Rank has a deal with ESPN. He is promoted by main events, but Top Rank has options on him. Top Rank works very, very closely with Frank Warren and his Queensberry promotions over in the UK. And of course, they announced a deal last year with ESPN, really ESPN Plus. Top Rank just picked up options on several of those guys over there in the UK, including uh, Frampton, I think Billy Joe Saunders, a couple other guys. And I mention all this because Yard is promoted by Frank Warren. So I think that this deal is going to be relatively easy to make. If it does go to purse bid, if it does go to purse bid, I think that there's a big, big chance Frank Warren could win the purse bid. If he does win the purse bid, that fight's going to the UK. Now, Kovalev versus Yard in the UK is pretty interesting. That changes the dynamic of that fight completely. Kovalev has gone over there before. He won his first title over in the UK. I believe it was the UK. Uh, he's fought UK fighters before. But, of course, he's a, you know he's a lot older now. Yard is in his physical prime. I've been very critical of, of Yard because he looks great, but he's fought absolutely nobody. And I laughed a week or two ago when he called out, and I think it was Frank Warren who called out Kovalev, and uh, they must feel confident against Kovalev because uh, they work their magic with the WBO. Frank Warren, just like Bob Arum, remember guys, I always say Frank Warren is kind of like the UK version of Bob Arum. He works magic with the WBO just like Bob Arum does, and I think they got this thing done. Uh, Would top rank put out a ton of money in a purse bid for this fight? I don't think so. Yeah, they have options on, on Kovalev, but there's not like a big future there five years down the road, and he's really still a main events fighter uh, first and foremost. So I think that uh, if a deal isn't reached and this thing goes to the UK, it does become more interesting. If it happens here in the USA, I favor Kovalev big. I, I just think Yard, look, maybe he would show us something in that fight. Uh, that we haven't seen yet. Maybe he'll prove he, he's you know got the substance, but he just he hasn't fought anybody yet. So we'll find out. We'll get a lot of questions answered in that fight. It is an intriguing matchup, and it looks to be like it's going to happen next, probably sometime this summer. Also, news: uh, Deontay Wilder. So I tweeted about this last week, but he has a press conference coming up tomorrow. I think noon Eastern time. So it might be later than that uh, in the afternoon at Barclays Center in New York. And he's going to officially announce his ninth defense of the WBC heavyweight title against Dominique Brazil, who I've been telling you guys for a year and a half or so, they're eventually going to fight. Uh, Al Heyman's wanted that fight. Wilder's team's wanted that fight. And of course, Brazil wants it. It's a good payday and an opportunity for him. There's a storyline there because of the hotel lobby brawl that took place between Wilder's crew and Brazil's family, literally his family, his kids and his wife were there. Uh, so for a mandatory fight, I like it. Now, the big news is going to be what network is it on? And is it on pay-per-view? A lot's been said and speculated about and rumored about the deal that DAZN made Deontay Wilder. Apparently it was three fights, $100 million, including two fights with Anthony Joshua. I think 20, 40, and 40. Those are the numbers being thrown around. Now remember, none of that's official. It's all rumors and speculation, but it appears that Wilder is going to turn down that offer. And a lot of people are saying that that is him ducking Anthony Joshua. I don't necessarily agree with that because here's the thing. If Wilder says no to DAZN, he's still a network free agent. He is not contractually bound 
to Showtime slash Fox with the PBC, he could still go to the zone and he could do everything as a one-off. So he could literally say he turned down his deal with the zone later on down the road. If a, there was a negotiation with Anthony Joshua for one fight, he could negotiate a one-time fee for that fight. If there was a deal at ESPN for a rematch with Tyson Fury, he could negotiate a one-time fee there. Maybe he signs a contract or something for one fight, or he doesn't sign a network contract at all for either of those fights, but he leaves it up to the negotiation one at a time. So if you're wilder and you're confident that you beat Fury in a rematch, or if you decide to fight Joshua, you're confident that you beat Joshua the first time out, that leaves you in the power position for negotiations for, let's say, maybe a third fight with Fury or a rematch with Joshua. So I understand why, in one respect, he would turn down that money. Then again, that is an, an insane offer. We know at least that it was uh, the offer from DAZN was high, what is it, eight figures, if not nine figures. Um, you know, none of that's been substantiated, but it's very clearly at least high eight figures. And Wilder's never been paid that much money. He got a huge, huge payout, uh, his biggest career payout against Tyson Fury. But it remains to be seen if he can make anywhere near that or more in any fight ever again. It depends on the decision that he makes and uh, how he performs in the ring. So, look, right now this looks like a foolish decision by Deontay Wilder. Two, three years down the road, we might look back and say, man, that was a smart move. But right now, you put a gun to my head and you ask me, should he have taken that money or not? He should have took that deal. Two fights with Anthony Joshua, whether you split those two fights with him or you lose both of them, you are so unbelievably FU money rich after that, that uh, your grandkids' lives, lives are set, right? So uh, it's hard to understand him turning down that money, but maybe again, there's a master plan there to negotiate things with Fury and with Anthony Joshua in the near future. But for the near future, it remains to be seen who he can fight that's going to bring 20 million or more dollars per, per event. I just don't see who he's gonna fight. But uh, you know, look, Dillian White's still a possibility, I guess. Because again, he is a network free agent. Uh, there are other guys out there. The, uh, the Polish fighter, well, Polish-American fighter, Adam Kovnacci. I'm probably butchering that name. Kovnacci. Uh, there are other guys out there. But we'll see what happens tomorrow at the press conference. It looks like the fight between him and Brazil is probably going to be Showtime pay-per-view. Even if, it, if it's regular Showtime, that's okay. Showtime pay-per-view, it's absolutely going to tank. I think it'd be great if they do that fight on regular Fox. Do that fight on regular Fox and position it on the right date to where it is around the, uh, I think it's, it's supposed to happen May 18th. Okay, May 18th at Barclays, I think is the date in the venue they have set aside. I'm thinking about it like this. That is NBA playoffs. That is NHL playoffs. Uh, their Major League Baseball will be underway. So there's plenty of cross-promotional opportunities, especially if it's on Fox. I think that's what they should do. If they go Showtime pay-per-view with that, it's going to freaking tank. All right, let's see. Um, let's see here. I'm just looking at some of your guys' questions. Um, 
Wilder said out of his own mouth a few weeks ago that he wants that fight on regular Fox. Yeah, I heard that. Wilder says a lot of things. I don't know how much of it he really truly means. I hope a fight between him and Brazil is on regular Fox. I, I hate that it's at Barclays, but that brings a certain amount of money up front for them because they have a deal, I think, through the Parrot Company uh, with uh, PBC and the Barclays people have a deal where they put money up up front for fights at Barclays. So it makes sense money-wise why they take that to Barclays. But I think a fight between Wilder and Brazil makes a ton more sense in Alabama. Or how about two hours east of Birmingham, Alabama, right here in Atlanta, Georgia, where we just had a freaking Super Bowl here. Boxing should come here. I think they're really missing out on a big opportunity. Uh, let's see. Deontay Wilder, <laughs> Eddie Hearn's in the chat. Somebody calling themselves Eddie Hearn is in the chat. And he says Deontay Wilder has turned down a two-fight deal with AJ for $100 million. He doesn't want AJ. Look, uh, I just explained what I think about that. I don't necessarily think it's him ducking Anthony Joshua. It looks like that right now. I understand that. But guys, try to understand how complex these deals are and how far down the road people like Shelly Finkel, uh, all the man, like Wilder has 15 people on his team, how far down the road they're thinking. Uh, there might be more to this than we know, okay? Uh, let's see. Bro, oh my God, if that shit came to Atlanta, I'd bring 20 people myself. Yeah, no shit, right? Uh, AJX and I, Ajax knee? I don't know how I'm supposed to say that. But bro, yeah, yeah. this market here, just to let you guys know off the record, um, I can't give specifics, okay? But I've talked with people at Top Rank. They are absolutely looking right now at bringing fight cards here to Atlanta. Maybe later this year, definitely next year. They're looking at the Atlanta Hawks arena, the, where the Atlanta Hawks, the NBA Atlanta Hawks play downtown. And they're like somebody like Terrence Crawford, they'd love to bring here. I think it makes so much sense. They, like I said, they just had another Super Bowl here. They had an Olympics here. Vladimir Klitschko won the gold medal at the Olympics here in Atlanta in 96. They've had at least two Super Bowls I can remember. Uh, Mercedes-Benz just built a huge new stadium downtown. Now, am I talking selfishly right now because I just moved to Atlanta? Yes. But demographically, this city is wide open for boxing. In Birmingham, Alabama, where Deontay Wilder is from, is two hours west of here. And just some more inside info for you guys to know. Wilder comes, Wilder and his crew come here to Atlanta and party all the time. They love the Atlanta strip clubs. That's all I'm going to say about that right now. We'll talk more about that in person. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, Yoke Pushkin says uh, he's not only ducking AJ, he being Wilder, is not only ducking AJ, but he's being held back by Heyman and Finkel, who are protecting their own interests. Again, it absolutely looks like that on the surface. I hear you. It looks like that right now. In two or three years down the road, we might be saying the same damn thing. We might be looking back at Deontay Wilder and saying, this guy is a moron. He let Finkel and Heyman ruin his career, just like several other guys in that universe. Not that it only happens in the PBC universe. It happens under every promotional banner. But um, we've seen it happen a lot over there in recent years, right? He had the opportunity to make X amount of dollars. Remember, just like Adrian Broner had an opportunity uh, to make a lot of money off in a Pacquiao fight at one point, or was it Danny Garcia? I'm sorry, Danny Garcia said no and then ends up losing to uh, Thurman for a fraction of the money he would have made against Pacquiao. Uh, we've seen that kind of stuff a million times. But again, guys, two, three years down the road, we might look back and say, you know what? They were thinking down the road and they made some really smart business deals. 
So let's give it time to see how it plays out. All right, a couple more questions. Oh, my phone's talking to me. Siri fell, I just talked to her. Uh, Joel, Joe L.O. asked, Mike, in your opinion, does Spence or Thurman have a better chance of getting a Pacquiao fight? Uh, I'll talk more about that later, but um, gee, I'd much rather see Thurman and Pacquiao than Spence and Pacquiao. I'll talk more about that later, I promise, in this episode. But, man, if Spence-Pacquiao happens again, or happens uh, next, um, man... I, that's a slaughter. That is, that is Holmes Ali-esque. That is Lewis Tyson-esque. And I understand from a promotional perspective why they'd want to do that. I just have no freaking interest in it. Okay, let's see what else we got right here. Punch for Pound asks, Do you sense desperation within the boxing establishment to push new U.S. or Mexican stars to replace Floyd's pay-per-view money? Seems foreign boxers have to pay five times as much to get equal credit. Uh, look, punch for pound, of course, all boxing promoters, you know, here in the United States or the establishment, if you will, are looking for the next big pay-per-view star. It has really nothing to do with Floyd. Uh, after Mike Tyson, they were looking for the next star. After Oscar De La Hoya, they were looking for the next star. So everyone's looking for the next pay-per-view star here. Pay-per-view to some degree will always be a part of boxing, but the difference now is that pay-per-view is being phased out the way that we knew it before. Uh, maybe in the future there will be some sort of a la carte system or you, you could buy a pay-per-view strictly for one fight or, or who knows. But the old system of pay-per-view is being phased out. PBC, it's very, very clear. PBC is going to continue using it uh, top rank is gonna continue using it when it matters uh, for big fights, like they're using it for Crawford Khan coming up. Where it's gone right now is at zone, And I get accused, you know, people make memes of me drinking zone Kool-Aid and all this. But guys, I mean, if you're a real boxing fan, I don't see why you wouldn't go balls deep on zone right now because what they have set up is the antithesis of pay-per-view. And if zone does good, with their investments in World Boxing Super Series, Canelo, um, Jaime Munguia, Gennady Golovkin, yada, 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 they help kill pay-per-view. So um, yes, promoters right now are looking for the next pay-per-view star, but the deals are changing and the structure of the deals are changing. And there are fighters now that are gonna start looking at Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin and the deals they have with a streaming platform. And they're gonna say, shit, I want that. These guys are getting guarantees for a certain number of fights, a certain amount of years, and a guaranteed payday for each one of them. Holy shit, I wanna go there. I don't want a one-time payoff on pay-per-view. Uh, I want this major uh, deal that goes you know, several years with nine figures in some cases. I think that's the new world that we're looking at. Uh, let's see. All right, we have some people fighting on the chat. So, you know, it's not a real chat unless there's people fighting. Barry Hearn is on the chat, too. <laughs> he says Anthony Joshua is a superstar in the sport of boxing. Thanks, Barry. In other news, water is wet and 2 plus 2 equals 4. All right, let's see. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, we just have people arguing with each other. Okay, guys, uh, let's move on to the review as I have another sip of my Johnny Walker. All right, Friday, March 15th at the 
Leochorus Center in Philadelphia. It was a Friday night card on the zone. And in the main event, Tevin Farmer scores a unanimous decision over Irishman Jono Carroll. Carroll, the third defense of his IBF 130 pound title. Scores were 117, 111 twice, and 117, 110. Uh, I like Farmer. He's a great story. He's carved out a nice little title run for himself, but he has yet to face the elite of the division. You think of guys like Gervonta Davis, who has the WBA title. You think of the winner between uh, Burchelt and Vargas. That will probably be Burchelt. They have the WBC title. They're fighting in May on ESPN. Uh, I'd like to see him fight one of those guys in unified titles. How about Joseph Diaz Jr., who is with Golden Boy Promotions and now fights on the zone as well? Those fights are makeable, okay? I know Gervonta Davis, he's a Showtime guy. He's a PBC guy. Uh, so I, I believe he has to fight on Showtime Fox, fine. But Burchelt Vargas, I don't think they're contractually tied to any network. Uh, I believe uh, Burchelt is with, I think, uh, Zanford Promotions out of Mexico. So I think he can fight anywhere. And uh, if Vargas was to win that fight, I think he's with top rank, so he'd go over to ESPN. But Joseph Diaz Jr., there's, you know, let's stick with that name. A guy like that. Let's see Tevin Farmer fight one of the elite fighters of the division. I'm ready to see that. In the co-main, the fight that I told you guys would steal the show, and it did, Sulecki and Rosado. That's uh, Macias Sulecki and Gabriel Rosado fight a, a really, really close uh battle back and forth action you know for the first half two-thirds of the fight it went the way i thought it would with sulecki getting the better of the action and he actually dropped uh rosado rosado was down in the first and in the eighth but in the ninth round sulecki goes down twice it was late in the round and it looked like you know had had he been hurt early in that round rosado might have been able to get him out of there but sulecki you know holds on uh, bites down, survives the 10th round, and gets the unanimous decision. So uh, good for him, and he moves forward. For Rosado, he's really getting to that point where tough Philly fighter, he's earned it the hard way, carved out a really good, respectable career for himself. How, how many more times does he need to get in the ring and take punches and be dropped and get cut and bleed? How much more of this does he need to have, man? He's done some acting work. I think that he has a future. If he ever wanted to be a trainer or something like that, he absolutely could. He could do commentary. It's time to start thinking about hanging him up, dude. It just is. Also on this card, uh, female action, Katie Taylor scores a TKO 9 win over Brazilian Rose Volante. Dropped her in the process. Uh, I think it was a headbutt that opened up a cut that led to the end of the fight. But it was pretty one-sided. Volante had her moments, but Taylor... Uh, clearly just a, a level above, adds the WBO title to her collection. She now has three of the four lightweight female titles. The one other title, the WBC, is owned by Delphine Pearson. Pearson? I don't know how you pronounce that name. But Taylor has made it very, very clear that's who she wants next. She's also made it very clear she wants to fight three, four times a year if possible. She doesn't want to wait till the fall to fight Pearson. She wants to, or Poussin, however you say her name. She wants to fight her next. She wants to get that BC title, and she will if she fights her. Then she'd have all four titles in that division. She also said she wants to fight Amanda Serrano. She is the better of the, uh, the Serrano sisters. She's the better of the two. Multi-division titleist, uh, one of the more accomplished female fighters of this last generation. And she even says she is willing to move up to welterweight and fight Cecilia Brekus. I think that could be a super fight in female 
boxing. If Katie Taylor grabs this other lightweight title, completely unifies the lightweight division, and she is willing to pull a Mikey Garcia and move up two weight classes, but not fight a guy with one title, but she's going to fight a chick with all four titles who is seen as the pound-for-pound pound best female fighter in the world, that would be huge. That is a female fight that moves the needle. If that happens, whether it's late this year or early next year, that's a big deal, man. We're already getting uh, Shields Hammer this year, which is the biggest fight, female fight we've seen in the sport in ages. Who knows? It might end up being the biggest female fight ever. Uh, so female boxing is exploding. The sport itself is having this rejuvenation, but uh, female boxing having, having a real, real uh, upspring in recent years. This is cool to see. And because we're seeing girls who can actually fight, Katie Taylor can fight her ass off. Nobody can deny that. I actually enjoy watching Katie Taylor fight. She's a serious fighter. Okay, also on this card, Avery Sparrow wins the majority decision over Hake Lundy. Both of these guys from Philadelphia. Uh, Lundy uh, was favored to win this fight. Goes down and now he's kind of getting to that territory as well of want to maybe hang him up soon, dude. It's kind of getting into that uh, level for him. UK lightweight Luke Campbell wins. Kazakh welterweight prospect Daniar Yelyusinov wins. And super middleweight American prospect Demetrius Ballard. He wins as well on that card. So a lot of fights on that Friday uh, night zone card. Now, Saturday, March 16th, we had action in Japan as Kosei Tanaka improves to 13-0 with the unanimous decision win over fellow Japanese fighter Ryoichi Taguchi. Defends his WBO flyweight title in that fight. As I mentioned last week during the preview, Tanaka has held the 105, 108, and now 112 versions of the WBO title. He is getting close to pound-for-pound pound list territory. He's kind of on the bubble. He's in the top 15 right now, but on the ring ratings committee, we've started talking about him and uh, saying, you know, he's, he's right there. Just needs another quality win. Okay, but the big card, obviously, Saturday, March 16th, AT&T Stadium, Arlington, Texas. This was PBC on Fox pay-per-view. Uh, TGB Promotions put this together, and I, I say overall, they did a fantastic job. And Tom Brown actually came over to me um, during the weigh-in and just came over and said, hi, we've never met face-to-face. -face. We've texted and talked on the phone and stuff. Uh, but came over and said hi to me, introduced himself to me and to Tiffany. I thought that was very, very cool of him. And I thought that he did a very good job putting this thing together. There were a lot of moving parts. There were 17 fights on this card. And they wisely held on, I think, to two of them by the time the pay-per-view broadcast started because there were several early knockouts. And I think it was between the co-main and the main event, they had a walkout fight to fill some of the time. And then after the main event, they had one last walkout fight. I think that was a smart thing to do to keep those two fights in the tank. I think it helped things move along. Now, a lot of you guys who watched at home, you said that there were big delays between fights, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, you know, I didn't notice that because I was ringside typing up my stories for every undercard fight. You know, I had to get my story over to Doug Fisher and the guys at Ring to post up to Ring TV, to the website. So to me, it felt like the time was flying by very quickly. And I thought that things were moving along fairly quickly. But uh, being there in person, it feels a lot different. There's music playing, there's stuff going on. I'm working, there's people all over the place talking and asking questions. So for you guys at home, I understand the pace seems slow, but give Tom Brown TGB Promotions credit 
think back to the Canelo Golovkin rematch and the huge, it felt like an hour long delay between the co main and the main event that night. In the arena, no walkout bouts. They had no, Golden Boy Promotions had nothing. They just played music for an hour. It was horrible. All of us in the media, we just went and had beer. We just drank a couple of beers and, and talked because all of our articles were out, all of our material was out, and we were just sitting there, you know, with our dicks in our hands, waiting for the damn main event. That's not what we saw Saturday. So I give Tom Brown, TGB Promotions, a lot of credit for that. Uh, Negotiate just. Organizing 17 fights on a card, guys, think about that. And all these fighters from different parts of the world, 47,525 fans in attendance. Now I tweeted about that, and for some reason there was a lot of you out there who were saying, hey man, that ain't what AJ does. Hey man, that ain't what Frotch Groves 2 did. Yeah, I know. I never said it was in that territory. And by the way, neither did any of the media or anybody involved with the promotion. Nobody was comparing it to Anthony Joshua or any of those massive UK cards. They were comparing it to other American cards. 47,000 is a great number in any country. But in America, you guys have to remember, we have infinitely more sports entertainment options than folks in the UK or in any other country in the world. And I'm not just saying that as, you know, America, you know, a proud American, you know, one of the, I'm saying it as it's just the reality. We have more sports, television, film, entertainment options here than anywhere else in the world. So we're also right in the heart of the NBA season, approaching the playoffs, NHL, Major League Baseball is underway. So all that stuff's going on. And in the middle of Texas, a kid from Texas who's never fought on pay-per-view, not a big star yet, and a guy from California, same thing, never fought on pay-per-view. Neither of these guys, a household name, fought uh, in a fight that was seen as a mismatch by a lot of people. And 47,000 fans showed up. And by the way, they paid $50 for parking. Parking at Jerry World, they were charging $50 for the fans. Now, Tiffany and I, luckily, we got to park for free. That's the perks. But I was looking at fans, and I'm thinking, man, they're paying 50 bucks just to park here. That's nuts, man. Jerry Jones is killing you Texas guys on, on parking. That I've never seen that for a boxing match. That's nuts. Anyway, 47,000 guys, that's a big deal especially when you consider all the factors I mentioned above. It's not like this was Floyd Mayweather fighting Manny Pacquiao in a rematch at Jerry World. This was Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia, okay? 47,000, big, big deal. Yes, it's not Anthony Joshua territory. It's not on that level. But you guys also have to understand, and we talk about this, you can't compare pay-per-view numbers in America to pay-per-view numbers in other countries because uh, the, the entire structure of pay-per-view is different here and the, the networks and the way everything's chopped up. The price structure is vastly different. So comparing numbers and contrasting numbers, why? it's not a competition, it's not a battle. Why can't we just be happy and excited that two undefeated guys fought and a star was made in this main event, which I'll talk about in just a second, and 47,000 people showed up. And I think it's gonna do half a million pay-per-view buys. I really do. I think it's gonna at least do 400,000. I really, really feel it's gonna outperform Wilder Fury. 
We'll see if I'm wrong, but I just think it will. I, I think that the way this thing was trending, I, I will not be surprised if it did at least half a million pay-per-view buys. That's a big deal, ladies and gentlemen. It's a big deal. Errol Spence beats Mikey Garcia, defends his IBF welterweight title. The scores were 120-107 and 120-108 twice. Now, in my breakdown, I talked about good big man versus good little man. Which one of these guys might be great? How Mikey Garcia could show he's great in this fight? How Errol Spence, who many thought was in a lose-lose situation, how he could show he is great? What we found out in this fight is that Errol Spence would beat Mikey Garcia at any damn weight. If these two were the exact same size, Errol Spence would shut out, just about shut out Mikey Garcia. He's just better than Mikey Garcia in every single category. The two categories I'll give Garcia the edge, nuts and guts. Those are the two categories he beats Errol Spence. Everywhere else, Errol Spence is better. And in some cases, he is several classes better. His footwork in this fight, his head movement, his jab, his spacing, his distance, his angles were all outstanding. Mikey Garcia tried to do some things that he does very, very well in this fight, and I paid attention. He does a little dip and a step up. It's just this little move Mikey has where he usually follows it with a one-two. It worked for him uh, beautifully against guys like Adrian Broner, one-dimensional, overrated fighters like Adrian Broner. It worked for him against uh, other guys that, that he could catch with it. Every time he tried his little dip and step up move, Spence saw it coming from a mile away and he took a half step back. And by the fourth round, Mikey was doing that move and not even throwing. He'd just do, watch the replay, guys. He would do that move and just stand there. He wouldn't even throw because he knew if he tried to throw, he'd get countered and it hurt. He threw a few times, and I thought enough to steal the second round. The third round was competitive, but from the fourth round on, Spence had him completely figured out. In the last three or four rounds, basically, Garcia was just trying to survive. Spence was just whooping the shit out of him. Now, I told you guys to go the distance. I told you why I felt that, because Garcia's too proud. He covers up well. When he wants to survive, he can. And he was doing smart things where he would back out of range just enough to where he'd catch the shot, you know, like a glancing punch from Spence, or he'd jump into range to smother Spence's power. He never really took a flush, hard shot from Spence at the very end of his power. He took a few of them early in the fight. He said, I've had enough of this shit. And then he started moving either out or in, like I told you guys, just trying to survive, really. Uh, took a horrible beating to the body. I think uh, Spence landed over 80 body punches, and Garcia may have landed 10 or 11. Off the top of my head, I think total punches, Spence landed almost 350. And I think Garcia landed about 70. So, I mean, Garcia landed basically about five punches around in this fight. When you completely dominate somebody like that, you're outclassing them. This is what Vasily Lomachenko did to Guillermo Rigondeaux in every way. The difference is Rigondeaux is a quitter. Garcia is not. We can also say the difference is Lomachenko and Rigondeaux are vastly more proven fighters, even at that stage of their pro career, vastly more proven fighters than Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia are now. That's why I still rate Vasily Lomachenko ahead 
of Errol Spence pound for pound because the amateurs matter, ladies and gentlemen. And what Lomachenko and Rigan Diaw did in the amateurs, it matters right now with how we rate them, even as professionals. Okay, um, after the fight, Manny Pacquiao's there. He gets up in the ring. Errol Spence invites him into the ring and they talk about making a fight between Spence and Pacquiao. And one of you guys was asking me about this earlier. I absolutely do not want to see this fight. It would prove absolutely nothing. Errol Spence got his brand building fight here against Mikey Garcia. They milked the Mexican American fan base. That's predominantly who was there at the AT&T Stadium. I was there, I saw it. Okay, I saw the Mexican flags. So that's predominantly who was there. That's predominantly who was there for the weigh-in and everywhere else. That's probably the majority of who bought the pay-per-view. So they milked that fan base and used Mikey Garcia in a sense to build up Spence's brand. He got the brand building fight. We don't need to see him fight Manny Pacquiao. I understand that a big win over Pacquiao puts him on this new, even higher level brand wise, but Pacquiao's lost seven times now. He's now nowhere near the level of fighter who fought twice at Jerry World and beat Joshua Clotty and more impressively beat Antonio Margarito. He's not that guy anymore. Why the hell do we need to see Errol Spence fight him? Let Manny Pacquiao fight a Danny Garcia, a Keith Thurman, even a Sean Porter. Hell, I, I'd even let, let, let Manny Pacquiao fight Mikey Garcia. How about Mikey Garcia, you know, uh, returns and, and fights Manny Pacquiao? I wouldn't even mind seeing that shit. I really wouldn't. But to have Pacquiao against Spence, there's just no damn reason. When you've got Sean Porter, who has a degree, or degree a title at 147, uh, he's a proven brand, enough of a proven brand in the welterweight division. Make that damn fight. And I understand you guys will say, well, Al Heyman can't force them to fight. And it's very clear. Kenny and Sean Porter want no part of Errol Spence. He can force them to fight to a degree because he could say, look, Porters, I'm going to sit your ass on the shelf. You're not going to fight for the next 18 to 24 months. You ain't going to make no damn money unless you get in the ring with Errol Spence. And by the way, I'll throw you some extra ducats under the table. We all know Uncle Al likes to do that. That's what needs to happen. It's probably not going to happen, but that's what needs to happen. Uh, as I mentioned before, when Larry Holmes fought Muhammad Ali, that's what this would be like if Spence fought Manny Pacquiao. Fighting Muhammad Ali and beating him in the eyes of casual fans may have helped people recognize uh, Larry Holmes as the guy. And it was done to him when he fought Mike Tyson later on in the 80s. That was a completely shot the shit, doped up, drunk up, Larry Holmes, who had been touring the country with his band, drinking beer and smoking dope, that Mike Tyson beat. It served no freaking purpose other than to build up Tyson's name. Like, I understand that. When Lennox Lewis fought Mike Tyson, it was done to him. This is how it happens in boxing usually, right? Manny Pacquiao used um, Oscar De La Hoya. To, he used De La Hoya to build himself up. And now they're trying to do this with Spence against Pacquiao. The difference here is, man, Pacquiao's been stopped before. He was absolutely knocked unconscious by Juan Manuel Marquez. Uh, I've noticed the speech pattern changing slightly in recent times. Um, he's lost several fights. Even the fight with Jeff Horn. I still think he beat Jeff Horn. I think that was a bad decision. But the fact that Jeff Horn was remotely competitive. Guys, look at what Terrence Crawford did to Jeff Horn. You know, just after that. 
So I just don't want to see it, man. Um, and I wanted to bring it up because if you guys agree with me, if you don't want to see Spence and Pacquiao, use the power you have on social media. Tweet to Errol Spence. Tweet to Manny Pacquiao. Tweet to PBC. There's also a separate Twitter account for PBC and Fox. Tweet to them. Tweet to their commentary crew, the guys they use with their commentary. Tweet all these people. Blow them up on Facebook. Blow them up on Instagram. And let them know you don't want to see that damn fight. If you do this enough, start harassing Sean Porter on Twitter. I like Sean Porter. He's a classy guy. He's one of the real good guys in the sport. But he's ducking Errol Spence at this point. I, I won't say duck. He's avoiding him. Keith Thurman as well. But Keith Thurman, I'd rather see Thurman fight Pacquiao because he's been so active. He didn't look very good in his last fight. He might be one step out the door. If you want to try to build a name off of Pacquiao, let it be Keith Thurman. Because let's say Keith Thurman wins a decision over Pacquiao. Now his name's bigger. And now you can put Thurman in against Spence, and that's a big pay-per-view fight. So I just think that makes more sense, and it's a lot less brutal. <laughs> Guys, use the power you have of your voice and get to these guys on Twitter, on social media, and let them know how you feel. That's how you can help cock block that fight from happening. Okay? Okay. Now, Mikey Garcia. Let's get to Mikey Garcia. Those of you who follow my work, uh, you know, you've heard me talk about this before. I'm sorry I'm going to repeat this because you've heard me talk about this for the last couple of years. I'm not pulling a Monday morning quarterback now just because Mikey Garcia lost and looked bad doing it. I've been saying this for years, and you guys who follow me know this. Some of you who are new to my work, who just joined the podcast and stuff, all right, this might be new territory. Mikey Garcia, four-time champion, four-division world champion. That is the way he is promoted. There is a massive difference between having a world title and being a champion, okay? Uh, right now at welterweight, Errol Spence has a title, right? Or let's, let's go to 140. Maurice Hooker is a titleist at 140. The last champion at 140 was Terrence Crawford. Before him, the last champion at 140 was Danny Garcia. You guys see the difference? The man of the division... You don't have to get all four titles. Sometimes, most times, politics prevent that from happening. But the guy who cleans out the division, Oleksandr Usyk is the champion at cruiserweight. Andre Ward was the champion at light heavyweight. Sergey Kovalev was the champion before him at light heavyweight. Now Sergey Kovalev is just a titleist. Huge difference. Mikey Garcia has never been a champion. He has only been a titleist or title holder. Yes, four different weight classes. He has held a world title. You know how many title defenses he has in his entire professional career? Two. Let me break this down for you. He beats Orlando Salida to win a title at featherweight. Defends his title exactly zero times. In his first title defense, he loses the title on the scales. So zero defenses of the featherweight title. At 130, he beats Roman Martinez to win the title, defends it once, and then sits on his ass for a couple years. Comes back, you know, new contract. He's out from the top-ranked contract. Beats Dejan Zlatikinen for one lightweight title, the WBC lightweight title, which he still holds. Doesn't fight or defend that title for well over a year. Moves up to 140. I think he fights Adrian Broner as a couple fights above. For some reason, the WBC lets him keep the title, even though he never had a mandatory 
Gee, I wonder why the BC has never bent over backwards for any fighter of Mexican heritage before ever. Here it goes. Montero hates Mexicans. I can see it now, even though I love Mexicans and all my Mexican friends know that. Uh, anyway, keeps the BC title somehow. I don't know how. Finally comes back down to 135 after winning one title at 140 against Sergey Lipinets, who had, I think, 15 pro fights, zero defenses of that title before he shelves it. Moves back down to 35 and technically unifies with Robert Easter. So that fight against Robert Easter was a defense of his BC title and a unification, I think, Easter had the IBF title. IBF's already stripped him because he moved up to welterweight for this fight. Didn't fight as mandatory, right? Um, so they've already stripped him. But the BC, of course, he still has that lightweight title that he won off Dijon Zlatikanen and has defended exactly once. And what has it been? Two plus years? And he's fought at lightweight once since he won that title. But you know, the BC, they do favors, especially for Uncle Al fighters. So, I mean, Garcia's got two good things happening. He's of Mexican heritage, and he's, a, he's an Al Heyman guy. So the BC is gonna bend over backwards for him. He's not gonna lose that title at all. He still has it, which is why I think he should try to move down to 135, not even 140, but more about that in a second. So if you look at everything he's done, look at the names that he beat for those titles. Two defenses, technically. And that one against Easter, by rights, most guys, he would have been stripped by then. So technically, yeah, two defenses, but really one, okay? Lost one fight on the scale. I'm sorry, one title on the scale. Is it that, what he did, is it that much better than what Adrian Broner did? Look at who Adrian Broner beat for his titles. I think Mikey Garcia's opposition is better. It's slightly better, but it's not levels and levels better it's just not you know his best win is probably orlando salido at 126 and or salido's best was 130 oh, i'm sorry he, he fought orlando salido i think yeah it was 126 okay that was probably the best version of salido 126 so okay that's probably your best win maybe it's roman martinez at 130 maybe but um it's definitely not lippin easter is latikanen those guys, no, nobody on that list is making the Hall of Fame. Not one fighter that Mikey Garcia has beat is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Not one. So when you look at that, I bring that up to say, this goes back to my comment earlier about Mikey Garcia got slightly exposed against, um, against uh, Errol Spence. Spence really showed that he is a pound-for-pound -pound level fighter. He's in the discussion now for maybe that fifth spot. We got to see how Gennady Golovkin looks in his fights this year. We got to see how he looks, okay? He might be dipping. He might still be right where he was the last few years. If Golovkin's still at the level he's been at, then he's, he's the number five guy or so. But Spence is in the conversation. He's still below Terrence Crawford, Oleksandr Usyk, uh, Canelo Alvarez, uh, Vasily Lomachenko. He's still below there, but he's right at that level now with Naoya Inoue, Gennady Golovkin. He's in that, he's in that discussion. He really truly is with this win. Weight, yeah, it played a factor. Size, length, height, it played a factor against Garcia. But go back and watch the technical little things that Spence did. He just completely outclassed Mikey Garcia. And I'll go back to what Lomachenko did against Guillermo Rigondeaux. A lot of people had Rigondeaux top five pound for pound. Lomachenko completely outclasses him, makes him quit because he's a quitter. He's a proven quitter now. We know that about him. We could say Garcia is not. 
So he won over a lot of fans in that respect. But where do you guys rate Rigondeaux now? Where do you rate him now? Multi-Olympic gold medalist, hundreds of amateur wins, came back you know, as a, as a pro and won a world title, what, 10 or so fights in, completely outclassed Nonito Donaire, who was the reigning fighter of the year at that time, a pound-for-pound guy. Rigondeaux was legit. He had, he had serious credentials. Lomachenko wiped him out. How do you look back now at Guillermo Rigondeaux? Okay. How do you look at Mikey Garcia right now? Maybe he's still top 10 pound for pound, but he's on the bubble. He might be number 10. He might be number 11 or 12. By the end of this year, depending on what he does and what some of these other guys do, I just talked about Tanaka earlier. There's some other fighters on the bubble, a Jarrett Hurd, somebody like that. He might be off the damn list by the end of the year. I'm not saying that to bash Mikey. I'm not saying that to put down or deflate Spence's accomplishment. I'm just saying there's levels to this game. And there are a lot of people out there who rated Mikey Garcia for years now as like this top three or four pound for pound fighter. Several of my colleagues at Boxing Monthly, uh, you know, on the ratings committee, rated Garcia top five. There are guys on the ring ratings committee who, who rated him top five. I just never thought Garcia was on that level. And some of you guys are asking, well, then why did you think he'd be competitive against Spence? Because Spence had never proven that he was at this level before. He didn't do it against Kelbrook, who was coming off, coming down two weight classes, had had his orbital bone smashed open, uh, and, you know, had facial reconstructive surgery. Lamont Peterson, I think, is overrated, particularly at this point in his career. Spence has never had the opportunity to show his greatness. He did against Garcia. What we learned Saturday night is that Errol Spence is a great fighter. All-time great Hall of Famer. I'm not saying that. He hasn't done enough yet. He hasn't proven that. But right now, in terms of top pound-for-pound fighters on planet Earth, he is on that level. He is an elite-level great fighter right now. Mikey Garcia is very good. That is the difference. That is the two levels between these two fighters. That's what we found out. So... If I'm Garcia, I go back down to 35. I don't go down to 40. I say this because if you look at Garcia's body at 147 and compare that to how Kel Brook looked at 160, Kel Brook moving down from 60, Kel Brook was ripped at 160, jacked at 160 against Gennady Golovkin, no fat on him. So he had to lose 13 pounds of muscle to get down to 47 again. That was a, just not the right move for him. Garcia had some chub on him. He had some side handles, all right, at 47. So I really think he could get back down to 35. Maybe they do it slowly. I don't know. But I think if he could get down to 35 and defend that WBC lightweight title a couple times and he start to really build a legacy now, focus on legacy a little bit. Because all the talk about him loving boxing again and all – I think it's bullshit. I, he, prove it, dude. Stay in one weight class and fight the best in that weight class. Stop being an opportunist and jumping around and looking for where the easiest title in each division is to call yourself a multi-division titleist. I think Mikey Garcia underrated Errol Spence and thought he was a Sergey Lipinets, a Dijon Zlatikin, a better version of those guys. Don't get me wrong. A better version of them but one of those kind of guys that he could kind of catch at the right moment and grab that title. That's what he saw in Errol Spence. And he was wrong. And 
I thought it'd be competitive. Most other people in the sport, insiders, thought it'd be competitive. It wasn't. It wasn't because we slightly overrated Mikey Garcia. I didn't. I always thought what he was what he was. I underrated, and a lot of people underrated, Errol Spence. And I admit that, and I own that. Errol Spence is on that next level. Okay, also on this card. And by the way, go to Ring TV. Check out my articles I wrote on all these fights, please. Go to Ring's uh, YouTube channel to see some of the interviews, post-fight reaction, post-fight press conference that Tiffany filmed, okay? David Benavidez improves to 21-0 with the TKO 2 win over Jay Leon Love, called out Anthony Durrell right after the fight. Anthony Durrell has his, WBC, his old WBC title. He's going to be in line to fight Durrell next. I like that fight. I think that Benavidez wins, and he wins big, and he gets his title back. After that fight, I want to see him fight Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant's a PBC fighter, young, undefeated, has a title. Let's see those two guys put their titles on the line and unify. And you know what? Let's see it this year. Let's see it at the end of this year. Let's see Benavidez and Darrell fight this summer. Let's see the winner of that fight, which will be Benavidez, fight Caleb Plant later this year. Please make that happen. Also on this card, Luis Neri improves to 29-0. The Mexican was making his... First fight in the United States as American debut. Scores a fourth round retirement stoppage win over McJoe Arroyo. Just so much bigger and stronger than Arroyo. It was evident right away. Arroyo tried to do good crafty things in there. He's a good, smart, proven quality fighter. Just completely overpowered by Neri. A lot of people, what Neri did to Arroyo is what most people thought Spence would do to Garcia. That's honestly what a lot of people saw. I never thought that happened. I, again, I thought it was going the distance. I was right about that, but I was wrong about it being competitive. Oh boy, was I wrong. Uh, so for Neri, looked really good. Who wouldn't love to see him fight the winner of the World Boxing Super Series Bantamweight Tournament, which will likely be the monster, Naoya Inoue. I'd love to see that fight. Can't happen till next year. But when it, you know, when that World Boxing Super Series Tournament is over, I'd love to see that. Okay, that's boxing porn, if that can happen. Chris Ariola scores a TKO3 win in the pay-per-view opener. Charles Martin scores a disqualification win in eight rounds against Gregory the Nut Puncher Corbin on Fox Sports 1. Uh, so those two should fight each other next. Why the hell not? Okay, let them fight each other next on one of these PBC cards. It makes too much sense not to happen. By the way, some more inside information. Um, I was in the bathroom in the bowels of the stadium uh, during the uh, post-fight press conference, taking a leak. And who walks in but Leo Santa Cruz with his son? They take a leak. Uh, we talk at the sink. And I ask Leo, I'm like, Leo, when the hell are you going to fight Gary Russell Jr.? And Leo looks me dead in the eyes and he, he, he swears to me, I want that fight. Gary Russell Jr. and his management does not want that fight. That's what he told me, guys. So I take Leo at his word. I've never heard Leo Santa Cruz lie or, or bend or twist things. He's pretty damn honest. But for him to look me in the eye, you know, Leo never really makes eye contact. He kind of looks down when he talks to you and kind of does this. He looked me dead in the eyes and he just said, I want that fight. Gary Russell and his management do not. But I want that fight. That's what he told me, guys. All right. Sunday, March 17th. Yesterday, while we were sleeping, there was fights on ESPN+. Plus. A terrible boxing fan. 
I know we're terrible. Uh, ESPN Plus. While we were, we we just straight up crashed. We just missed it. Went back and watched it later. Top rank on ESPN Plus. Madison Square Garden Theater. The small little room there. Luis Colazzo improves to 39 and seven with a split decision win over Sammy Vargas. Scores were 98, 92, 96, 94. One judge had it for Vargas, 96, 94. That was the main event. But all the Irish fans, they were there for the co-main to see their man, Michael Connell, improve to 11-0 with six knockouts with a unanimous decision win in a 10-rounder, a complete shutout. It was 190 on all three scorecards uh, against Ruben Garcia Hernandez. This was the third straight year on St. Patrick's Day weekend, St. Patrick's Day, uh, that Michael Conlon has fought there at the MSG Garden Theater. And um, we were there for his pro debut a couple years ago. A lot of fun. The Irish fans packed that place and make it a hell of a good time. As far as Conlon's ceiling, I don't know. You know, if you would have asked me a year ago, comparing him and Shakur Stevenson, I had Conlon above Stevenson. Now, I think Stevenson has shown more improvement in the last year than Conlon has. I think Conlon needs more seasoning and take your time with him if you're top rank. For Shakur Stevenson, he might be ready to challenge for a title soon. He's improved that much that quickly. Uh, there's just different levels and guys develop at different rates in the pros. And I just think Stevenson's further along at this point than Conlon is. Also on this card, oh, yo, you know what, that's it. But just to give you guys context, okay, Ron, Randy Caballero, remember him? former titleist at 122. He fought Ruben Garcia Hernandez in 2016, dropped him twice, and Hernandez quit on a stool in the seventh round. So just to give you perspective, that's what Randy Caballero as a prospect did to a fresher version of Hernandez a few years back. Conlon, and again, styles make fights. It's, you know, it's no big deal to go the distance sometimes. It's just the manner in which you do it. Uh, Caballero blew this guy out, just, just blew him out and made him quit. Conlon outclassed him, outboxed him, but not the same level of dominance that Caballero did. So, again, I don't know about Michael Conlon's ceiling, okay? Uh, that's it for the review of last week. What kind of questions? Are you sending me some questions, Tiff? Mm -hmm. Scott X. Scarrier asked, do I really think Yard will fight Kovalev? I do. I do. Um, the WBO is basically ruled for this because Frank Warren and his people asked them to. So um, they see something in Kovalev that they think they can exploit. I do think it will happen. Uh, Fleener asks, when do I think Wilder and AJ will actually happen? Man, I, I, I thought it would happen next spring. Springtime 2020 is when I thought it would happen. I'm going to stick to that for now. But shit, who knows what the hell Deontay Wilder is going to announce tomorrow. Maybe he signed a network deal somewhere and we don't know yet. I hope he didn't. But I still think spring of 2020, that's really the expiration date on that fight. He's either going to fight Fury again or AJ by next spring. DS Kennels asks, has Mikey hurt a potential Loma fight with his performance? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Um, I think that uh, a Lomachenko fight is still marketable. Here's the thing. With the casual fans, he could say, look, man, I took 12 rounds of punches from Errol Spence. He barely put a mark on my face. Vasily Lomachenko has gone on record saying that he is, is he go back to, he wants to unify titles at 135, 
but he's also open to fighting guys at 130. He's talked about that in recent interviews. He could make 130 right now, could probably even really kill himself and make 126 right now. He's naturally smaller than Mikey, vastly more skilled and a hell of a lot faster. And by the way, I was never one of those people that said Mikey Garcia was faster than Errol Spence. People who said that made me scratch my head. But um, yeah, I think that a potential fight with Lomachenko is still a possibility. I really do. Um, I think he's lost a lot of negotiating power in that fight. But Mikey Garcia is kind of delusional. And they might ask for like 50-50 against Lomachenko. Do you guys think he's worthy of 50-50 against Loma right now based off what he just did with Spence? I don't. We'll see. Marlo's Corner asks, how do I see Pack versus Spence playing out? I think it'd look a lot like when Holmes fought Muhammad Ali. Go back and watch that fight on YouTube. Um, I think it'd look like when Lewis fought Tyson, when Tyson fought Holmes. There's a few examples for you to look up. Kamel Oz asks, can you break down J-Rock versus Swift Herd? Uh, Herd, you saw what Charlo did to J-Rock, right? Now, Charlo caught him with an explosive hard shot that J-Rock didn't see coming. I don't necessarily see Hurd doing that. Hurd isn't an explosive one-punch kind of guy. He wears you down, mows you down with his size. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do to, to J-Rock. They fight. Uh, Alex Suarez asks, how many pay-per-view buys do you think Spence Garcia card got? I, I'm telling you, it wouldn't surprise me if it did half a million. I'm serious. Brennan from Champaign asks, any updates on Baranchek? No updates, but the World Boxing Super Series is still promoting that semifinal bout with him in it. I think it's going to happen. I think he's going to fight Josh Taylor. Moonaj Robinson asks, Shields versus Hammer, who you got? Man, I keep going back and forth on that one. Um, I got to favor Shields because of where it's taking place and everything. And just she looks so improved with her boxing skills in her last fight. Uh, so I, I do give the slight edge to Shields, but I don't want to give an official prediction until we get closer to that fight. But I do give the slight edge to Shields early on. Uh, punch for pound. You guys got to punch for pound. You got to shorten some of these questions, dude. I can't read this whole thing on this podcast. People are going to fall asleep. You got to shorten these questions, bro. So I'm going to have to skip your one question here. Um, why don't promote you? You ask, why don't promoters push the best boxers overall rather than pushing U.S. Mexican ones at the expense of better foreign ones. That's an opinion, bro, because there's people out there who, who felt like that HBO, let's say, was pushing Gennady Golovkin and Sergey Kovalev more than they were pushing Andre Ward. I don't necessarily agree with that, and I know the inner workings of the deals and everything. Uh, I think that they push those fighters equally, but people have different perspectives. I think that... Um, you talk about U.S. and Mexican fighters. Okay, with Mexican fighters, Mexican-American and fighters from Mexico, the biggest fan demographic in America is Mexican-American fans. So it makes sense that you're going to market to that fan base. And there have been American fighters, uh, non-Mexican-American fighters, like Floyd Mayweather, who marketed successfully to the Mexican fan base. They bought his fights because they wanted to watch him lose, but... He still marketed to them. Errol Spence and PBC, like I said earlier, they just milked the Mexican-American fan base to build a name, a brand off of Mikey Garcia. Looking back now, that's exactly what this whole promotion was. Um, so it makes sense to market to that fan base. As far as promoting American fighters, dude, we're in America. So naturally, American fighters are going to be promoted because 
No shit. This is the United States of America. So a guy coming from overseas that doesn't speak English is going to have to work a little harder at it. That's why I give guys like Vasily Lomachenko, Manny Pacquiao, Gennady Golovkin, Sergei Kovalev, plenty of others. I give them tremendous credit for learning English and uh, promoting themselves to the English-speaking American fan base because they know they have to do that. If an American fighter moves to China, he better damn well learn Mandarin because he's going to have to speak Mandarin to promote himself to the greater Chinese fan base. Or if he's in the South, Cantonese, the South of China. So, you know, that's just how it goes, dude. That's demographics. It's not just like that in boxing. It's like that in every sport. Uh, foreign NBA players have had, Dirk Nowitzki had to prove himself twice as much as some other American guys who won the MVP of the NBA because he was a foreigner trying to do it. He had to assimilate, right? Uh, so, so that's just how it goes, dude. It's in every sport. Yeah, I'm still alive here. They don't see me? No, I think just... Oh, okay. Uh, Red Elmo asks, an American wearing an Italian jersey. Uh, that's not a question, but um, I'm an American with Italian parts. How about that? Uh, you know, look, uh, I'm a patriotic American. I served in the Marine Corps, all right? I'm just, you know, this is a badass jacket. It's nice and cool. It's a windbreaker, and it's cool. Admit it. It looks good on me. Rockstar1996 asks, what's going on with Showtime? Mikey Shirley Espinoza, Steven Espinoza. Uh, can't be happy with these guys wanting to go and go to Fox and these continuous pay-per-views are insane. Uh, yeah, look, Steven Espinoza, uh, he knows that PBC has a deal with Showtime. They also have a deal with Fox. So depending on dates, what each network has going on, venues, fighters, demographics, fight location, all these different things, they're either gonna to go to Showtime or Fox. It really depends on the deal. Espinosa's aware of that, I don't think he minds. I think that if he lost Deontay Wilder to the zone, he would mind, because that would really, really, really affect him and, and their bottom line right now. Uh, let's see. Um, Rockstar1996 asks, why is Mikey getting props for surviving against Spence? He was disappointing and he didn't even try to win or go out in his own shield. Dude, that's easy for you to say. You're not in the ring getting the hell beat out of you. I was literally, I don't know, 20, 30 feet from the ring. And it was uncomfortable watching the last few rounds. I give Mikey Garcia tremendous credit for continuing. When a guy, again, I'll go back to Lomachenko, Rigondeaux. Rigondeaux quit. Just flat out quit. And that's a guy... Here's the similarities. For years, Lomachenko called, or I'm sorry, Rigondeaux called out Lomachenko. He even used race baitings and stuff in his tweets saying Lomachenko is overrated because he's Caucasian and, all, and I, I'm underrated because I'm black. He's, it, he said that. Well, the Cuban press guy who ran his Twitter account said that. And they went after Loma for years. And when they finally got him, they quit. Garcia called out Spence. And he knew that he could, you know, it's all on him if he goes in there and looks bad. He didn't quit, dude. He survived when many other fighters would have looked for a way out. Many. I'd say most would have looked for a way out at that point. So I give Garcia tremendous credit. He deserves it. It was a stupid decision to fight Errol Spence. He made eight figures, right? You guys are hearing the reported purse. You don't know what Uncle Al gave him under the table, but we were talking about in Dallas last week. He made a good freaking payday for this fight. He made more than Errol Spence did. So I get why he did it from that perspective. But 
yeah, anyway. James Burrell, how about that Crawford guy? Let's stop acting like he doesn't exist. James, you just win comment of the night. That wasn't a question, but it was a great comment. Um, it, it was, we need to remember Terrence Crawford. He's on, well, I don't have it on me, but he's on the cover of this month's Ring Magazine. I still, look, if Terrence Crawford fights Errol Spence right now, Terrence Crawford wins by decision. If they fight in two or three years, Spence probably wins. That matchup is this generation's Leonard Hearns. It needs to happen. You guys need to use your voice to get in these guys' ass and make that shit happen. It's not going to happen to the PBC guys fight each other. That, that has to happen before the winner of all that fights Terrence Crawford. They're going to wait Crawford out. They're going to do what Canelo did with Golovkin, and they're going to wait him out. I understand that. To speed up that process, you guys need to start getting on their ass. No Spence Pacquiao. Spence Porter. Let Thurman fight Pacquiao. That's the progression we need to see. Let the winners of those two fights fight each other next year, and then let's start talking about Terrence Crawford. Mally Fitness asks, if I could choose Mayweather's next opponent, who would I pick and why? Uh, I would, his next opponent should be Taco Bell. He should stop fighting. James Burrell asks, is Spence better than Inoue? I assume you're talking about pound for pound list. I think they're right now, okay, in the mix, somewhere in the middle of the top 10. I understand if you rate Inoue above Spence. Some of you out there understand why you may rate Spence above Inoue. If Spence sits on his ass for the rest of the year, and for the record, he said he wants to fight again in July and then fight again in the fall. That's what Spence is saying. We'll see if it happens. If he sits on his ass for the rest of the year or fights guys we don't give a shit about and Inoue wins the World Boxing Super Series tournament, obviously Inoue shoots up and Spence drops. But right now they're kind of in the, that soup that's in the middle of the top 10 of the pound for pound list. My, you know, right at the top, I have Crawford, Lomachenko, Usyk, Canelo. Those are the guys right at the top, okay? Uh, survive. Who, who do you guys think Triple G will fight next? Triple G is going to fight a guy with a padded record, likely from Europe or Latin America, that has an undefeated record against a bunch of nobodies. But you know what? He deserves it. It's okay. It's, he's not going to fight... Demetrius Andre or someone like that. I talked with Tom Loeffler last week. I talked to him as, as part of the story I did for Golovkin's DAZN deal for this next issue of Ring Magazine. And he said that they're going to have a press conference in Los Angeles in a few weeks. They will announce the opponent, venue, date, all of that then. So you guys are going to get your answers straight from the horse's mouth in a couple more weeks. Just be patient. Stephen Wade asks, which fight makes more sense for Spence next, Pacquiao or Porter? I hope I've answered that for you clearly by now. James Burrell asks, who do you think is the bigger hype job, Loma or Spence? Spence and Wilder are clearly the best. James, you just had the best comment of the night. This comment completely destroyed it. You now had the dumbest comment of the night. Chuckhook93 asks, who beats David Benavidez at super middleweight? I think the one guy that could beat him. I agree with my man Steve Kim, my friend Steve Kim, Mr. ESPN on this because he feels the same way. Uh, I think Caleb Plant has a style to possibly beat Benavidez. I think, um, I don't know if Callum Smith beats him. 
Uh, I think Dimitri Bivol, if he moves down to 168, he certainly can beat him. But let's take Bivol out of the discussion yet because he's not at 68. Right now, I think Callum Smith has a legitimate chance because of his length, especially if it's in the UK. I also think Caleb Plant would have a chance because of his slick boxing style. Other than those two, nobody. Okay. Um, Exiso asks, hey, Montero, why should we be okay with Pac taking easy fights if it holds up the division? Everyone's chasing him instead of unifying. I agree. And that's why I want to see him retire. It's why I want to see Floyd Mayweather stay retired. It's time to turn the page. Let's move forward. I want them out. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Pacquiao fight Thurman, build Thurman's name up a little bit, give him another... Let's say Pacquiao beats Thurman. If Pacquiao beats Thurman, then the fight with Spence makes more sense. And I don't mind seeing it as much. If Thurman beats him, then a Thurman-Spence fight is that much bigger. So go that route. Spence isn't going to fight, I'm sorry, Thurman isn't going to fight Spence anytime soon. We already know that. We already saw him fight Porter. So let's see him fight Pacquiao instead. That's just what I'd rather see. Okay, uh, let's move on with the preview of what's coming up this week, guys. And then I'll get to some more questions. Woo. Running out of hour 15. I'm going to fly through this preview. And then we'll hit some more questions. We had a lot to talk about tonight. So we have a lot of boxing this weekend. None of it is big matchups, but a lot of boxing. Okay. Thursday, March 21st, it is the premiere of a monthly series from Golden Boy Promotions on the Zone. These will be every month on a Thursday. At the Avalon Theater in Los Angeles, in the main event, Mercito, uh, Mercito Hesta is fighting Mexican Juan Antonio Rodriguez, who has lost two of his last three. Filipino should win this fight. Saturday, March 23rd, a loaded prospect card out of Yekaterinburg, Russia. Peter Petrov is fighting in his native Spain. Miguel Roman is fighting in his native Mexico. Christoph Vladerchuk fighting in his native Poland. So we got action all over the world. But here in the USA on ESPN+, Plus. Uh, Queensberry card, Frank Warren card from the UK. Tons of prospects on here. Frank Warren signed prospects. Sam Bowen, a 140-pounder who fights at, I'm sorry, a 130-pounder who is 14-0. Nathan Gorman, a 22-year-old heavyweight who's 15-0. He's only 22, but he looks 42. Dude's hairline is like, boom, like halfway down his head. Uh, I would never have guessed this dude is 22. But uh, he's on the card. Sam Maxwell, a 10-0, 140-pounder, and CJ Challenger, a 9-0, 154-pounder. If CJ Challenger ever wins a title, he's probably going to have to change his last name. Um, Ba-boom. There's a matchroom card from London on DAZN, and uh, some prospects on that card as well. Actually, a title fight, too. Charlie Edwards, who is 14-1 out of the U.K., fighting Angel Moreno, who is 19-2 out of Spain. This is the first defense of the WBC flyweight title. Edwards won off Christopher Rosales back in December in that upset special win of his. Joshua Boazzi, a 9-0 light heavyweight, 2016 bronze medalist in the Olympics, fighting on the card. Lawrence Ocoli, an 11-0 cruiserweight. He was in the 2016 Olympics fighting. Lewis Ritson and Jason Quigley is also fighting on that card. 
here in the States uh, to Hanger in Costa Mesa, California. Top rank on ESPN, showing Jesse Magdaleno going up against Rico Ramos in a 10-round featherweight fight. Uh, Jesse coming off that loss to Isaac Dogbay last April, so almost a whole year out of the ring for him. That was a rather physical fight, and he took some punishment in that one. Uh, Rico Ramos, a former 122-pound titleist who ended up losing his title to the before-mentioned Guillermo Rigondeaux. Uh, also on that card, Kubrat Pulev, 26-1 heavyweight out of Bulgaria. His only loss to date against the all-time great former champion Vladimir Klitschko. Going up against Romanian Bogdan Dinu, 18-1 Romanian, uh, coming off his loss to Jarrell Big Baby Miller last November. So somebody's won has got to go. Both of these guys have only lost one fight. Also on this card, Maxim Dadashev. A 12-0, 140-pound prospect out of Russia, an Igis Klimas guy who has uh, been relocated to Oxnard. Igis Klimas is really building like a camp there. He takes these guys from Eastern Europe, moves them over to Oxnard, California, trains them in that gym that Robert Garcia, I believe, used to own up there. Uh, Terrell Pulev, who is Kubra Pulev's younger brother, I do believe, 12-0 cruiserweight prospect, 2008 Olympian. Uh, for a guy who went pro in 2009, doesn't have a lot of fights. And then on Sunday, you get some more action. Sunday, at, back at the Avalon in Hollywood. It's a busy weekend at the Avalon in Hollywood. A, 300, a 360 promotions card featuring several Eastern European and California-based prospects. So that should be a lot of fun. And we have some PBC on Fox Sports 1 action from the MGM National, National Harbor, uh, I think a suburb of Washington, D.C. TGB Promotions brings you in the main event, Lamont Peterson going up against Sergey Lipinets. All things considered where those two are at in their career, I like that fight. I talked about Peterson earlier, who is 5'9", 72-inch reach, uh, had that loss to uh, Errol Spence, I think, last January. And then Lipinets had the loss to Mikey Garcia last year. He is 5'7", 67-inch reach. So Peterson is the bigger guy, smoother boxer, you know, craftier boxer. Two and two over the last four and a half years. So this will basically be his fifth fight in the last five years. And Lipinets, his entire career as a pro has kind of been in that span. He went pro in April of 2014. And as I mentioned, Peterson has lost two of the last four going back to late 2014. So, okay. That's it with uh, the preview. Let me get back to some of your questions. Mally Fitness asks, Michael Montero, would you like to see Spence versus Floyd Mayweather? At this point, Mayweather's career, no. Um, but I don't see Floyd Mayweather even going near Spence. He spent the better, you know, the last half of his career avoiding challenges like that. It would never, ever happen. And that's why Floyd had, has a major asterisk next to his O. But at this stage of his career, no, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see Spence fight Mayweather or Pacquiao. It'd be a bludgeoning. He, he'd knock out Floyd Mayweather right now. Yeah, I'm saying it. I'm not stuttering. I'm looking right in the camera. I'm not stuttering. He would knock out Floyd Mayweather. He would bludgeon Manny Pacquiao right now. So I don't want to see it. Uh, Luis Garibay asks, who do you think Triple G fights next? I already talked about that earlier. Who do you think Mikey should fight next? I already talked about that earlier. Mikey needs to go down to 135, defend his WBC title against his mandatory or something, and then look at unifying with Vasily Lomachenko. Silvio Kiyokan asks, name the best current heavyweight that you're confident Usyk can beat. 
anybody not named Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, or Tyson Fury. I think that he has the potential to beat any other heavyweight right now. Would I put him in there right now with Jarrell Big Baby Miller, Luis Ortiz, those guys? No. I'd go a notch below that. Alexander Povetkin, somebody like that. Alexander Povetkin is still a top 10 heavyweight. He's just aged. He's been in uh, some, some wars. You know, he's taken some punishment. He's a clean fighter now. Uh, he's off the stuff. And he's in the lower half of that top 10 of the heavyweight division. So I'd like to see him start somewhere around there. But I think after that fight, show you know, if he proves he can take a heavyweight punch, I think he beats any, any other than the top three heavyweights right now. Uh, let's see. Punch for Pound is saying, I'm a bullshitter for only answering half of the question. Uh, punch for Pound, you got to shorten these questions, dude. And you got to stop complaining because I don't answer the question the way you want to hear it. I told you before about the demographics and everything of the sport. And, you know, foreign boxers, look, that's a relative concept. Boxing's a worldwide sport, bro. Um, you know, there are fighters all over the world making tons of freaking money that are major brands. It's not just here in America. Those days are gone. Carlos Crespo asked, Jacobs versus Canelo, who do you got? And Crawford versus Spence. I like Canelo to beat Jacobs by decision. And right now, I think Crawford would beat Spence by decision. I want to see how Canelo looks against Jacobs. I think that's going to tell us a lot about how he looks against, you know, a big, strong, physical guy who's athletic at 160. Haven't seen him fight someone like that yet. Uh, Crawford, just too crafty and experienced for Spence right now. Two, three years from now, different story. Cash for Cat asked about Anthony's ch yards, chances against Kovalev. You know what? He has a chance. He absolutely has a chance. He has a chance to show us something he hasn't shown us yet, but he's making a quantum leap in opposition. Sometimes guys do that and they show us that they're for real. Sometimes guys do that and they show us that they're more pretender than contender. I favor Kovalev in that fight, but we shall see. Yard is much younger, physically bigger and stronger. Sele Chavez asks, do I think Robert Garcia is overrated as a trainer? No, I don't think so. I mean, it depends what, where you rate Robert Garcia. He's among the top 10 or dozen or so trainers in the world, I think. Um, you have to put him up in that category. I mean, certainly, how many world-class trainers are there out there who have trained multiple champions? I think Robert Garcia is a pretty damn good trainer. Is he the best in the sport? No, but he's pretty damn good. Aciso asks, why should we be okay with Pacquiao taking... Oh, we already answered that question. Um, Amok PVP asks, why should a big welterweight Spence get pound for pound for beating a lightweight? I explained that earlier, okay? Go back and watch the beginning of this episode. I talk about, and this is what I said in my breakdown of my prediction for the fight. It's not that Spence beat up a smaller guy. When you look at what Luis Neri did to McJoe Arroyo, it was impressive because of how explosive he was. But... That is what, if Spence would have done that to Garcia, I wouldn't have been as impressed because that's what a bigger guy is supposed to do, quote unquote, to a smaller guy. But to completely and thoroughly outclass a really good fighter. I don't think Garcia is great, but he's really good. And he's proven as a really good fighter. To thoroughly outclass a dude like that, it is impressive. I was 
even more impressed by what Lomachenko did to Rigondeaux because I rated Rigondeaux higher than I rate Mikey Garcia. That's why I was even more impressed with what Lomachenko did. But a lot of people tried to discredit that win by Lomachenko because Rigondeaux was two weight classes smaller. Some differences there. Lomachenko, really a natural featherweight who moved up in weight because all the featherweights were ducking him. Uh, and also Rigondeaux is so much more proven as, a, as an amateur. And he had beaten pound-for-pound pound level talent. He outclassed Nonito Donaire. So Rigondeaux really was a pound-for-pound pound top five guy. And Lomachenko outclassed him. I think that Mikey Garcia is right on the border of the top 10 pound-for-pound. Pound. I don't put him anywhere near the top five. He might not even be top 10 pound-for-pound. Pound, but he's in the mix. He's in the top dozen or so pound-for-pound pound fighters in the sport. And Spence, who has how many fights right now? 20. Let me look at my notes. I don't even have that. He's got like 22, I think, pro fights. Thoroughly outclassed him. It is impressive. He doesn't jump to the top spot pound for pound, not even top three or four, but he's in the mix now and in the discussion. I think that win is impressive enough where he's in that discussion now, okay? Sports Talk with Troy said, Mikey's been fighting at 140 with the exception of the Easter fight. He's not a lightweight. I agree. You know, people keep saying he totally jumped two weight classes. That was used as a marketing thing. His last fight was against Robert Easter. They did that to help market the Spence fight as a two weight class jump. Uh, he's, he's a 35 or 40 fighter. He's right in the mix there, okay? Uh, but, you know, it's not as big of a weight jump as people are making it, it seem to be. The, the win for Spence had more to do with skills and craft and ability than size. It truly did. Let's see. I'm, gonna, I'm just looking now through some more of you guys' questions here. Rockstar96 asks, Mike, you need some posters on that white wall. It's blinding me. As I've said before, this is a temporary situation. In two months, we're moving into my house where I am building a studio that will have a wall decorated with old fight magazines. It will be awesome. You guys are gonna love my background in the future on this show more than you like my commentary, all right? Okay, guys, uh, that's it. We've gone for an hour and a half tonight. We went over by almost 30 minutes. That's what I do for you guys, because I love you. I'm gonna have one more drink of my, uh, my whiskey here. Ah, make sure you read my stories on Ring TV, the website. Uh, make sure, again, you check out the YouTube channel to see some of the videos Tiffany shot. And the new issue of Ring coming out will have not one, but two articles from yours truly. I've been working my ass off. Really, really had a great productive trip in Dallas. Worked nonstop, but it was so productive. And I got to meet several of you guys there and I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, I, I'm very, very blessed to be able to do what I do and to get paid for it. A lot of that is because of you guys. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you guys. I'll see you at the fights, all right? We're out of here. TNC 163 is a wrap.